Good morning. I know some of you that didn't listen to Brother Donnie are going, something's different this morning. Either Davin had a really bad week or that's not him. It's not him. All right. I'm so honored to be here and on part, as part of the Shelby Baptist Association. I bring you greetings from your 64, about to be 66 member churches. We are a, an association of churches that come together to be on mission. Our vision is simply this. We want to make disciples by meeting needs in partnership with our member churches. That's what we're all about. And we love to be able to do that, and I love this church. You guys are amazing. This group that just led us in worship are amazing, Brett. Great job. Let's give them a round of applause. I know that they will direct it straight up to our Lord and Savior, but thank you for what you do in this team up here. You know, I've often said that Davin is one of the best preachers, if not the best preacher in Alabama or the convention as a whole, and I know why now. It's easy to preach after these guys. They get you ready, and so I'll, it's awesome. So anyway, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I want to share just a little bit about what we do as an association how we partner with our churches, how we're partnered with you, and what a great partner you are. Do you realize that last year that you gave to the Shelby Baptist Association just shy of $60,000 in partnership with our ministries? In addition to that, with the CCM, the Church and Community Ministries, you gave another, I believe it was $2,400, and about 2,000 pounds of food for us. Not only that, you hosted our Unite ministry that we do in Shelby County with going out and doing mission projects. You guys have come alongside. You have gone to Alaska, which is one of our partners uh, in ministry and mission for the Shelby Baptist Association. You've got a team that will be going with us in just about four weeks to South Dakota where we're doing ministry on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. We're doing optometry and dental ministry. Not only that, you made a donation in helping us out. We are putting backpacks in the 1,200 students that we will be on their campus. Those backpacks are filled with paper goods, uh, binders, pens, markers, scissors, water bottles, all those things, and you guys are helping make that possible. Thank you so much for what you do. Now, let me quickly tell you what we do as an association. Here's what we do. Four things that we operate on, four buckets, like I, I like to say, that we operate out of. Number one is we want to encourage our churches and our church's leadership because it's been a rough last several years. With the pandemic coming through, having to shut churches down, churches are having to learn to do ministry in a whole new way. It can be very discouraging. We are losing more pastors and leaders in our churches now than our seminaries are having enough to fill them. We have a shortage of ministers, and so we want to encourage the ones that are here. Secondly, we want to equip because doing ministry post-pandemic is different than doing it pre-pandemic. And you're like saying, well, no, it's not. It's just you still out, go out and tell them about Jesus. But the people are different. We have to approach them differently. Do you realize that before the pandemic, this church was already doing it. I don't have any doubt. And that is using social media, using a streaming platform to put your services out. Many churches were not doing that before, and they had to learn there are other ways, and so we're helping equip them in how to reach a post-Christian world. Yes, 
post-Christian world. Thirdly, we want to empower our churches. And you're like saying, well, what do you mean by empower? Well, you heard that him say up here, Brother Donnie, kind of make a joke and saying that I'm the head honcho, the big guy at the Shelby Baptist Association. Well, I've got a friend at Sanford University, and he calls me the Baptist bishop. And I say, there's a big problem about what you're saying, and here is the problem. I have zero authority. I may be working with all these 66 churches, but when I go in and I talk and I consult with them and I try to equip and encourage them, they have the option of looking at me and saying, you're not anything. Why are you telling us this? Or they could say, thank you for, so much for giving us this information. It's theirs to take or use. It's, we have zero authority. But we want to empower them with the resources they need. Here's some information. 73% of our churches in the Shelby Baptist Association run less than 100. 73%. All right, get this. 50% of our churches run less than 50. 30% of our churches run less than 30. We've got a handful of churches that are running about 8 to 10, and if there are not some significant changes within the next year or two, those churches will cease to exist. I talk with AMSs all over the, our state, guys that are like me, do my job, and we are all in the same boat. I hear them, I say, yeah, when, they say, when I came to the association, we had this many churches, now we have this many, which is less. Why are we shrinking? Because our world is different and we're having to do things differently. It's harder. So we want to encourage, we want to equip, we want to empower, and we want to engage you in doing missions and ministry locally, nationally, and internationally. That's why we have partnerships with the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Most of you have never heard of the Pine Ridge, have you? It's in South Dakota. You've heard of the Battle of Wounded Knee because you studied that in history. It's where the Battle of Wounded Knee took place. It's one of the poorest areas in our nation. That's why I'm so glad that we've got a team from this church joining us to go out there and provide free new eyeglasses. It's not some that are used. It is some that is free, brand new glasses that are the prescription is done while we're there. The glasses are made while we're there and given to them. We're partnering with VSP, Vision Service Providers. We also have some of our dentists. Dr. Kevin Morris and some of his staff will be going with us on this trip to provide free dental care. It's an amazing opportunity. That's why we partner with the Alaska churches in the Anchorage region because they are very similar in a lot of ways to the reservation and what they're facing. So with all that said, that's who we are. That's what we do. That's why I'm excited about what I get to do. I was a pastor for all about 19 years before I took that position, this position. Before that, I was a youth minister for about 20 years. So I've been in ministry a long, long time, but I love what I get to do. I have people come up to me all the time and say, so what do you do? How is it now that you're not in the ministry any longer? And I'm like... Well, you know, I just go hang out with pastors and drink coffee. That's all I do. But I love what I get to do, and that is to be able to go into churches like this. In the last two years, my wife and I have visited every one of the churches in our association. We only got to go to our home church about four times last year on a Sunday. But we love what we get to do. I'm in churches large. I'm in churches small. I'm in churches that are very involved in the association, and I'm in churches that are not. 
but I love to get to go and just share the word about what God's doing in Shelby Baptist Association. All right. One of the things that he's doing right now, he talk, Donnie talked about resources. I cannot let this one go away. Through generous donations and some uh, from corporations, from different entities, and grants, the Shelby Baptist Association has been able to buy its own mobile dental unit. Dr. Laurie Williams and Dr. Morris have been very heavily involved with helping us in this. And you're like thinking, well, why did we need a dental unit? Remember our vision statement, making disciples by meeting needs. Alabama is one of three states that does not provide free dent or dental care, dental insurance for Medicaid patients or participants. In Alabama, there is a great need, and we found after research that one of the other things is not only dental insurance availability, but transportation. There's no mass transportation in Shelby County, so it's hard for people to get there. People say, well, why don't you just build a clinic and let them come to you? If they can't get there, then how are they going to take advantage of it? So we bought our own unit through don donations, through partnerships with dentists like Dr. Williams and Dr. Morris. We've got other partners in other, with other dentists, dental assistants and hygienists. We're going to be setting this up. It hopefully, it's going to be operational by the 1st of September. We're going to be setting it up in church parking lots so churches can meet the people. We provide the resource. They come in, meet the people, and they start investing in their lives, making disciples by meeting needs in partnership with our member churches. That's who we are, and I love it. I love it. Now, you ready for God's Word? Don't sound too excited. All right, all right. Now, and I was told that he, you know, um, Donnie said that you guys might need to get primed a little bit. He was trying to do that to kind of follow along. I've got a, a it's a preacher's rag. It's called Pastor. But a friend gave me this. And a friend also would sit in the congregation, and he had a background of kind of a, I won't say Pentecostal, but a different style of worship than many of us have. And I'd get preaching along, and all of a sudden, if I hit something real hard, I'd hear him go, uh-oh, all through the congregation. So I'm used to that, so feel free if I step on a toe to go, uh-oh, all right? Are you with me? All right, take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and I know what some of you are already thinking. Wait a minute, that's a Christmas story. This is July. Christmas in July. By the way, our Christmas gift shop has its banquet in just about three weeks in August. So it's exciting, and so it's time to start thinking about it. But there is some truth, a truth, a lot of truths in what we're going to find here this morning that apply in our lives. In fact, the title of the message is When God's Word Doesn't Make Sense. Have any of you ever been walking along in your life and all of a sudden you felt like God was telling you to do something and say, God, that just doesn't make sense. I don't understand what you're talking about, God. Why in the world are you asking me to do this? I can't do this. I mean, most of the time it's not a, I can't do this. It's I won't do this because it takes me out of my comfort zone. It challenges us. I had a time like that. In fact, Lisa and I had a time like that. My wife, Lisa, is over here with me this morning. She came to the second service because she couldn't handle me twice. 
I'm just kidding. I gave her permission to only come once. Now, late 2002, we were rocking along in ministry. I was serving at a church similar to this one in North Alabama as their youth minister. I was their Matt Wright. Can you imagine that? And all of a sudden, I felt a stirring in my heart that God was calling me to do something different. And so I felt that God was calling me to the lead pastor, the senior pastor position. So I started talking with some of my friends, and all of a sudden, I had this contact from this one gentleman from Mobile who was a pastor of a church, and he said, we're interested in talking with you about coming alongside of us we're going to plant a church, and we want you to be the church planter. After several interviews, I agreed to do this, and my wife and I talked about it, and everything sounds hunky-dory. We were getting ready to move from North Alabama to South Alabama from up in uh, the, right at the state line to the Gulf Coast. Sounds pretty good. But here's where it gets a little bit difficult. You see, I was going to take a $20,000 pay cut to go be a lead pastor, from youth minister to a church plant pastor. And then my family was going to have the joy of moving out of our nice home that we had just remodeled, and we were going to move into the church building, which was a converted pharmaceutical sales warehouse at the end of an industrial road. That was the rental building. Doesn't that sound fun? Isn't that something that you can get on board with? And then I start this position. I go there on a Wednesday night at the plant church or the church sponsoring church, and I meet the core group. And by the way, the core group, here's how they were selected. There was a sheet put in the foyer and said, if you will commit to go for a year and work with this church, put your name on the list. Ten people put their name on the list. One of them, I won't go through all of them, one of them, this was going to be a contemporary church plant, okay, in an area where a lot of young families were. One guy that was uh, signed up to be on that list was a King James only hymnal guy. Doesn't that sound fun for your first pastorate? We got the group. First time I met the group was on the Friday night after I moved down on Wednesday. We went and we took possession of the building that we were renting that my wife and I would, and the kids, our two kids, three and eight, would live in for the next year and a half on a Saturday morning. On Sunday morning, the next day, we had our launch service. Now, that's not the way you do church planting. But because there had been some groundwork and because God is a God of, watch this. We had 96 show up for our launch service the next morning. God did some amazing things and we averaged right around 80 for the first year. Within a year, we had bought 15, of acre, 15 acres in West Mobile. A year after that, it was paid for, and we were already breaking ground to build a 10,000-square-foot, 9,600-to-be-exact-square-foot building. By the way, here's how God also works. We went from no footings to a blacked-in 9,600-square-foot facility in one week. 
with 150 volunteers from around the nation. God has a way of saying, you don't understand it, you can't see it, but I'm going to do something right now that if I were to tell you, you wouldn't believe me. So hang on, because here in this story, we read about Mary. And Mary is an amazing young lady. Her life is rocking along. She's betrothed to Joseph, and all of a sudden an angel appears to her and rocks her world. Hey, God's found favor with you, and you're about to have a baby. Time out. I ain't been with a man. I'm a virgin. And why is God choosing me? God has a way of using the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Stand with me as we look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. It'll be on the screen, and I'm reading from the NIV translation if you want to change on your phone or tablet or whatever it might be. Here's what it says. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Underline that passage right there. Highlight it, whatever you need to do. In verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. Underline, highlight that part. Verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked? Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And look at this. For nothing is impossible with God. Then look at verse 38. This is Mary's response. This is what Mary had to say. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Would you pray with me? God, what an amazing passage of Scripture we have to look at this morning. What an amazing call on this young lady's life. But Father, it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense then. It doesn't make sense now. So help us to make sense of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you don't mind, I'm going to go a little James Spann on you. Don't worry. If I start rolling up my sleeves, I encourage you to get under the pews at that time. I do get a little warm when I preach, and so that can be constraining and and a little warm as well. 
When we look at the Word of God this morning, this passage in particular, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see how God reveals Himself to us, but we're also going to see what it has to do with His relationship with mankind. And then it also gives us an amazing opportunity this morning to ask ourselves this question. God, what are you saying to me today? God, what do you want to do in and through me today? All right? So I want you all, all of us, even the great cloud of witnesses up here, okay? I want us all to be understanding that God's not just telling us a story. God's speaking to us this morning. And he is speaking to us directly through this passage of Scripture. And there are going to be four words that we're going to focus in on this morning as we move through this passage. If you want to write these four words down, here are what they are. Number one is perplexed. We're going to look at perplexed. Number two, we're going to look at preferential. Preferential. Number three, we're going to look at problems. And number four, we're going to look at peace. Those four words are exactly what God's teaching us in this passage this morning. The first thing that we find in it is God's prophetic word can leave us perplexed. His word can leave us perplexed. If you look at this passage in verses 28 and 29, here's what you find. In that beginning, there is a, a, an, a, a, a kind of a greeting that we see. There is a title. And in that title, it says, favored one. Some translations say favored woman. Some translations say graced one. But it's addressing this young lady named Mary. Then it gives us this promise. It says, the Lord is with you. Now, this was not an unusual, I mean, this was not a usual greeting. It was an unusual greeting. It was not something that people were accustomed to. And so, as a result, we see the reaction of Mary. In fact, if you look in the passage of Scripture there, her reaction, what we find is the verbiage is greatly troubled. She was disturbed. She was perplexed. She was confused. She didn't understand what was going on. She was thinking in her mind, why is the angel appearing to me? Why is God choosing me? I mean, I would probably be in that same situation. If the angel appeared to me today, if an angel appears to you this afternoon, you're going to be a little stressed. You're going to be a little perplexed. In fact, what we find in looking at this, here's what most likely happened with her. Her heartbeat began to race. Her mind began to just think, what in the world is all of this? I don't understand it. She was probably at the same time a little distraught. Her hands probably started to shake. Her knees probably started to knock. Her voice started probably to quiver because this was completely out of the norm of what normally took place. But her response, it was so beautiful. It was humble. It was genuine. It was inquisitive, but it was gracious. And it was honest before God. God, how can this be? 
I'm an ordinary person. I've never been with a man. I, I don't see how this can take place, God. Imagine that angel appeared to you this afternoon and said, I want you to consider something. Now, I didn't have an angel appear to me, but between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I began to sense that God wanted me to do something different. You see, I was already enrolled, I already had a roommate, and I was headed, I was transferring from SMU, Sand Mountain University, also known as Sneed State Community College, and I was going to the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. I was, no language in here. <laughs> I don't know who said it, I'm just teasing it. I, hey, whatever you want to choose, that's good, just as long as you choose Jesus, all right? We good on that part? All right, here we go. Now, I was going to be an accountant. Any accountants in here? I ain't going to admit to that. <laughs> and God said, no, you're not going to Tuscaloosa. You're not going to be an accountant. I want you to surrender your heart and will and life to be in full-time ministry. And you need to go to Sanford. He didn't tell me that, but that's the only place I knew to go to prepare for ministry at that time. And so I ended up making this change, and, and for the life of me, I did not feel good about it. I was greatly perplexed. I was confused. I didn't know what I was going to get into. And I continued to argue with God. Here was my argument. God, I'm an ordinary person. I struggle to have an, a speech. God, do you know in speech class at Sneed that I struggled for a five-minute speech? Afterwards, my dad said, now I wish you'd go back to that. But anyway, that's a different story. And I went on and on and on, and God said, it doesn't make sense for you, but I'm calling you. And do you know that the guy that was leading our camp he had the audacity to be singing as well, and the next song that he sang was Ordinary People. If you don't know the song, it talks about how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things so that he gets the glory, not us. I said, okay, God, I got you. I got you. This morning, God's calling some of you. In fact, God's calling all of us. Some of you he's calling to surrender to his kingdom for the very first time, like the young person that just was baptized, who had surrendered the heart to Christ and followed through in baptism. Because some of you have been doing church but you've never surrendered your heart to him. You, you may have said a prayer, but there's not been a change in your life. No change, no, no Jesus. Because when Jesus comes in, everything changes. It's a new master. Some of you he's calling on mission. 
He's calling you to be involved in some type of mission project, ministry project here in the church, or going out on short term. Some of you, he's calling to full-time ministry just like he did me, just like he did Pastor Davin. You're going to have moments, and you're going to have times of doubt. You're going to have times of like, how in the world, God? You know what? I had that when Davin called me and said, hey, can you preach for me on July the 30th? I thought, how in the world am I going to go into the pulpit and speak when you've got the best preacher in Alabama, if not the convention? You've got the pastor who's got the best hair in the convention. (laughs) He's got the best teeth. I doubt he's ever had a cavity. Any of our dentists in here can tell me a secret. I know, confidential patient stuff. God reminded me, I didn't call you to be Davin. I didn't call you to be Brett, Randy, Jonathan, Donnie. I didn't even call you to be Matt. I called you to be my servant. And servants say, yes, Lord, wherever. Second word. The second word that we come to is preferential. God's prophetic word can lead us preferentially. If you look in verse 30, it says, you have found favor with God. I look at this passage of Scripture, and it reminds me throughout Scripture that there are many others who found favor in God's eyes. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Esther. All through the book, you see where God's hand of favor was on her. Moses, you see her, God called him out of the wilderness to lead his people. All through the Bible, you see where God had favor on his people, on those he was calling. And here, Mary was not chosen because she was the best or the godliest or whatever. It was simply looked at God said, I will have favor on her. And I know what, you know what, we can have trouble with that and not understand it. But we can also have trouble when God says, I'm calling you. But he chose her, and he looked at her, and that word favor is Karen, C-H-A-R-I-N, not K-A-R-E-N, like a Karen in our society. But it also has another root word, I mean, similar to another root word called karu, and that word karen has favor, karu is rejoice, and here's the thing. When God has karun in us, then he karus in us. When he has favor in us, then he rejoices in us because he's put his hand on us. He's called us out. Here's some interesting things. Not only did God choose Mary, Moses, Esther, and Noah, and many others in the Bible, God is calling us and putting his favor on us as well. You're like, where do you get that from? Look with me at some scriptures. It's going to come up on the screen. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
children born not of natural descent, nor of human descent, or of a husband's will, but born of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special position, possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not his people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. One more, John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, here it is, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. God has chosen us to be a part of his family. God has chosen us to be on mission with him, to bear fruit for him, to bear his image. But what are we doing? What are we doing? I want, you, I want to illustrate this whole point this way. You may have wondered, why did he bring his bag up there? This is why I brought my bag up here. Any baseball fans in here this morning? A few. Some of you are raising your hand like, well, I'm afraid what he's going to do. Don't worry, I will not throw these baseballs at any of you. I tried that one time doing the same illustration somewhere else. The guy dropped it. I mean, he's right in through his face, and I'm like, I'm not going to do that again. Might get a suit or something. This first baseball, it's simply a high school baseball. Nothing special about it. In fact, it's been used. It's got some nicks in it. It's got some marks on it. It's got dirt all over it, uh, rub marks on it where it's been hit. You know, it's probably one that a pitcher would just kind of throw aside and not even use. It's a fielding ball just to be used. Probably worth maybe about five bucks, ten bucks if it were new. This next ball that I have is also that this one is an official ball of American League. Baseball, American League, professional. It's a little bit more expensive baseball because it has been signed by Jimmy Key, who played for the New York Yankees, the Baltimore Orioles, and the Toronto Blue Jays. If you're a Braves fan, you may have disdain for Jimmy Key because in the World Series with the Blue Jays and the Yankees, he beat the Braves in a game, in games for both of them but it's signed by Jimmy Key. I have it because Jimmy's brother was a, in our student ministry when I was a student pastor. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of got a little bit more value to it. This last ball, Wilson, A-H-S-A-A, -A -A, Alabama High School Athletics, American High School Athletics Association. And it says this, it has a signature. Dad, thanks for the love and support. I will never forget playing catch over the years. Love you so much, Noah Camp. My son wrote this on this baseball at the encouragement of his high school baseball coach at the beginning of his senior year. Then at the banquet, at the end of the year, at the award ceremony, he gave it to me, my son. This one's really not, it's kind of useless, it's just a baseball. This one's worth a little bit, 
This one's priceless. It sits in our office on the shelf so I can see it and be reminded of the investment of my son. I want to illustrate what I was just talking about. We start out like this baseball. We get marred and marked up and beat up by the world. Then the world will come along and validate us in some way. Somebody may put their signature on us and we may say, oh, I'm worth a lot because this person is an important person. But in reality, it's still just a baseball signed by an individual. But then someone important, significant in our life, comes and makes a mark on us and it changes everything. And they choose to give us this. You see, that's what our Heavenly Father is. He has chosen us. He has had favor on us. And because He's had favor on us, and He signed our adoption papers into His family, we are priceless. So, this morning... We have to understand that God has called us into His kingdom to be on His mission, following after Him in ministry. But we're perplexed. Even though there is preferential choosing, but here's the third thing, and I've got to hustle through these last two because we're out of time. God's prophetic word can leave us with problems. If you look at this passage of Scripture, 31 through 34, it, it talks about she was going to have a baby, and the word says that Mary was betrothed, virgin, was to have a baby. And to today's society, we don't really look at that and say, well, you know what, they messed up. That's not how they looked at it back then. It was a big deal. Mary was going to face difficulties from family, friends, and the community of a judgmental society the rest of her life. Premarital sex in that day was grounds for parental abandonment. Premarital sex in that day were ground, was grounds for the faithful partner to completely dissolve the whole betrothal. Premarital sex in that day was a opportunity for the whole public to come in and humiliate her publicly in front of everybody. An adulterous relationship in that day was grounds, were grounds for stoning to death. So she was going to face problems and some people thought that Mary had been unfaithful to Joseph and that Jesus was born of fornication. You don't believe it? Look at John 8:41. And we see from Luke 2.35 that, that Mary would have to endure pain the rest of her life, and a sword will piss you through your heart. Here's something you need to understand. 
when we have found favor in the eyes of God, we are suddenly a marked person by the world. And we will be an enemy of the world. Listen to what John had to say. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, this is Jesus speaking in John. John wrote it down. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. When we walk with the world, everything seems okay in this world but we're enemies with God. But when we walk with God, we will have problems in this world. We will. But let's move to the fourth word. It's my favorite one. It's my favorite one. God's prophetic word can leave us peaceful peaceful. In verses 37 through 38, here's what we find in Mary's encounter, the response and how things look. There are three highly significant statements. Verse 37, here's what it says, for no word from God will ever fail. Regardless of what we might think, how perplexed we may be, what problems we may face, the Word tells us nothing is impossible with God. Isn't that peaceful? That when God calls you to do something, He's going to provide everything in what this world may do. They may give us temporary setbacks. They may give us temporary discomforts. But God's Word never fails. Mary responded in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Jesus said, you now call me friends. And we may look at Jesus and say he's our friend, but the reality of it is he's still our master. And when the master says do something, we have to understand who's speaking to us, and surrender to that, leading to the third thing that is said, may your word be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. What Mary said is, I affirm everything you've said, God, and guess what? I don't understand it, and it's going to be weird, but let it be. I'll do it. Whatever it is, I will do it. Lisa and I went, and as I'm wrapping this up, Lisa and I went the other night, Friday afternoon, to see a movie. Some of you may have seen the movie. It's called The Sound of Freedom. If you've not seen it, I encourage you to see it, but understand this. It's not for everyone because it deals with child trafficking, human trafficking. In the movie, here's what it, 
there's a scenario where this gentleman that has been in the drug cartel and in the cartel has come out of it, sent in prison, came out of prison, and he is now doing something to help those that are in drug or in trafficked um, human trafficking, the ones that are victims, to get out of it and have peace. And the main character in the movie, his name is Ballard. He looks at him and says, why are you doing this when you could have had a beautiful place on the beach just living your life out? And I promise you, this is, may not have been the real thing that was said, but this is what was said in the movie, and I was like, wow. And here's what he said. When God tells you to do something, you better do it. Now this morning, the question is, what is God telling you to do? Here's the challenge for you. What is God telling you to do this morning? Is he calling you into his kingdom to be one of his children? And you like saying, but everyone thinks I'm already a Christian. I don't care what people think. It's what God says that matters. Will you come to him this morning? In a moment, we're going to have right down here will be Brother Randy and Brother Donnie. You can come and speak with them about how to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, what is God calling you to do? Maybe God's calling you to go to this New York uh, mission project, be involved in some type of project here at the church, teach a small group, whatever it is. What is God calling you to do? Will you do it? Some of you. God's saying, I've been talking and asking you to surrender to full-time ministry for a long time, and you've not been listening. Why not? And I know some of the senior adults in here, yeah, speak to them kids. You remember Elizabeth? Don't make him make you have a baby. <laughs> what is God calling you to do? Will you surrender? Will you say, yes, Lord. May it be to me according to your word. The altar is open. I'm going to pray. Brett and the team are going to come and lead in this song of commitment. The song of commitment is the goodness of God. I ask him, y'all are wondering what I whispered in his ear. It wasn't just, hey, great job. Or where do you want to go get lunch afterwards? I ask him to switch, because here's what you guys sang so strongly just a moment ago. Your goodness is running after me. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. And y'all sang it great. Swaying, hands up. Now sing it and mean it. Whatever God's calling you to do, may it be to me according to your word. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Lord, this is not an easy time. The enemy will attack. It will make us think all sorts of things. It will make us feel as if we are not even worthy. But God, your word will never fail. Draw your people to you this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.